Hey everyone, this is James Mackey and welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. Join us as we cover high-level thought leadership and step-by-step guides on how to make people a competitive advantage for your organization. I'm incredibly proud to be the CEO of Secure Vision, the sponsor of this show and the number one contract recruiting, embedded recruiting, and RPO firm. A thank you to our partners, Greenhouse, the hiring operating system for people-first companies, and GEM, the all-in-one hiring solution recruiters love. Let's go! Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. I got a really cool episode for you. Uh, basically going to be riffing on a lot of the more recent topics that I've been discussing with executives. And I think this will be really helpful for those of you that are looking to make adjustments to your talent strategy. Think about talent acquisition, building and scaling teams, uh, and creating you know valuable outcomes for customers at scale. So to start us off, I'm actually going to share a story with you. Uh, before getting into recruitment, I actually worked at a boxing gym. So I would actually teach boxing, Muay Thai, MMA, uh, and I actually competed in Muay Thai for for several years. And the gym I was working at, we actually had a, a pretty cool team. I don't know if there's any boxing fans tuning in, but we actually had Riddick Bowe uh, at the gym. We had uh, some other really impressive folks that you, you might probably haven't heard of, uh, but we had Daniel Atai. He was an Olympic boxer. And we also had um, William Joppy, which was a, a two-time world champion boxer and, and, and some other folks like uh, I'm in the DMV, Northern Virginia. We had Jimmy Lang, who uh, is, is very well known in this area too. So we had uh, quite a, a really cool team. And, and at the time I was leading a, a fight team as well. And we were doing quite well. We won about 90% of the fights that we competed in. And I had a, a much different approach to leading my team. And I think that that had a big part of why we were so successful. Um, I, you know, we, we focused a lot on psychology and I remember right when I'd ever have a two, new team member, I get a big group together. Sometimes we even had other teams coming into the gym uh, to learn from us uh, because we were uh, doing so well with, with Muay Thai and stand up. Uh, and, and one of the things I would do, one of the first questions I would pose before jumping into a class is I'd, I'd ask everybody, all the fighters that say, look, um, how much of your success in fighting do you think comes down to your psychology? And I would go around the room asking, right? Like some people would say like 50%. Some people would say 75. Some people would say 90, right? And everybody acknowledged the fact that psychology actually came down to the majority of what would make somebody successful as a professional fighter. So then the follow-up question I asked was like, well, okay, let's see on average, this group thinks that uh, psychology is about 80% of success, which is in any crowd, essentially what we come down to is basically right at 80%. Uh, and, and so I ask him like, well, look, during your training, how much of your training time are you dedicating to your psychology? It's like crickets, right? Everybody's like, like nothing. <laughs> so it's like, okay, if something's accountable for 80% of your success, then why are you spending zero time on it? And then it's like that light bulb moment, right? And so how this ties into leading teams is psychologists have come to a common agreement through several studies that positive psychology is a large factor that determines an individual's success in life and the the team's success, right? Because optimism and pessimism are contagious and getting folks that have a positive bent to their psychology can make a huge difference. And positive psychology essentially allows folks to lower cortisol levels and actually have a much healthier life. 
And as a result, it positively impacts every part uh, of their life, including their productivity and performance at work. And so when you are interviewing talent, one of the things that should be a priority when it comes to personality traits is understanding how people respond to stressful events. Are they able to see a silver lining in something that's very difficult, right? So I think a more recent example would be COVID. Not ignoring the reality, the harsh reality of what a lot of folks went through, what we all went through, but also saying that you know a silver lining, for instance, could be that as things were getting hard, it really meant bunkering down and focusing on improving the skill set. And so it was an opportunity to take my skill set to the next level because I had to. I had to really understand how to find high leverage opportunities to improve myself so I could thrive even in a tough market condition would be one example of many. And folks like that, or when they get on your team, are going to bring that level of energy and bring those silver linings, and it's going to be contagious to the other folks on the team as well. And so I learned that all the way back in the day when (laughs) I was training Muay Thai, boxing, all these types of things. And again, we came out to a 90% success rate. I mean, we had uh, more junior guys that were coming up, like knocking people out in the first round against like more established schools. So um, I've seen this firsthand. And as I've worked with, you know, over 150 organizations over the past eight years to guide talent strategy and help them hire, this is something that's been, you know, I see over and over again. And again, there really is science behind this. You can look up the studies yourself, but there is a, one example of a study that psychologists ran, I, I believe a few years back, is they brought people into, uh, into like a, a setting to, to basically read um, they split people into two groups and one group read something about stress where it's like, you know, cortisol levels lead to, to like long-term health impacts, people that have high levels of cortisol in the, in the long run and don't respond well to stress and don't find silver lining are more likely to have like heart disease and all this stuff, which is by the way, scientifically proven. Um, and then to the other group, group B, they gave something, uh, gave them a, a, a description of, of stress that said stress is actually really good. It helps you produce uh, at a higher level, it helps create creativity uh, and heading de- hitting deadlines and all that kind of stuff, um, which in the short term uh, can be can be uh, uh, true, uh, but in the long run is, is definitely not true. And uh, what was interesting is that they monitored these folks over the following months. And what was really interesting is that the folks that read that a stress response is healthy actually uh, did much fared much better in every area of their life versus the, the the study group that read that st- stress was detrimental. So again, uh, it's scientifically proven through these types of studies that our stress response and the meaning that we attach to things, the same event, people can attach two very different meanings and as a result lead to two very different uh, sets of outcomes. So again, I don't think that enough people are like really thinking about psychology, uh, optimism, right? Like we hear, you know, we, there's this connotation of like, you know, the power of positive thinking or manifestation or like, you know, that ridiculous book, The Secret, which was basically close your eyes and think about what you want. And it's just going to become like handed to you. Obviously, that's bullshit. Right. Uh, but what we're referring to here is that having a positive psychology, uh, finding silver lining is going to increase, like improve results. And we need to be thinking about that with the folks that we we bring on our team. A few other topics I want to discuss next up. Uh, I want to stress the importance of hiring folks that have done around 75% of the job before. Of course, this could vary a, a little bit depending on the position, but you have to remember that the 25% that they haven't done is why they're going to actually accept your offer. 
Uh, a players are not going to accept offers for roles that they've done a hundred percent of a players, ambitious people are going to be looking for opportunities to grow. So you need to make sure that you're able to provide them with those things. So you got to get really clear on your job description about like the two or three outcomes that you want for the role to produce. Shouldn't be writing job descriptions from the perspective of like a bunch of tasks. It should be outcome focused. You should be able to dial in the top like one to three things and then make sure to give folks um, an opportunity to grow into the role. And they don't necessarily need to have experience doing everything. You have to know like what is the fundamental skill set and what isn't quite as important. And then if something isn't necessarily quite as important um, in terms of having prior experience, doesn't mean quite as important in the role, but uh, something that you know doesn't require a ton of prior experience or isn't like the core skill set that's required, let people come into that role and grow into it. And you're looking for folks that have been able to do that successfully in the past. And you know every opportunity, they're kind of getting pulled into a more influential uh, role within the organization, making a, a bigger impact. Another best practice that I see a lot of companies miss on is they expect candidates to be transparent and then don't reciprocate, right? So it's pretty common for candidates to need to give references and performance data, like sometimes as far as like 10 years back. Uh, but then like when candidates ask questions about like the health of the company, the financials, uh, try to get into details surrounding like turnover or for instance, like with sales, like the amount of reps that are actually hitting goal, uh, companies can get kind of cagey and say something like, you know, well, this is a private company. Uh, and there are some some folks that kind of push back on the idea of sharing financial data. I'm not suggesting giving light items on a PL and the budget. Like that's not what I'm what I'm asking. But you know, if a company has uh, for instance, VC funding and is not cash flow positive, you need to be able to share things about like how much runway the organization has, or if the company has been able to get an operating income consistently and is profitable, then that's something, of course, that's good to share. Right. But if there's challenges with profitability or the pricing model or whatever it might be, when candidates get to a certain stage of the process, you need to be able to provide some level of insight. And every company might be different, but you need to reciprocate. This is a partnership, and the best folks are going to be asking these types of questions. In fact, in my from my perspective, if I'm hiring for a strategic role and somebody isn't asking me these questions, I'm gonna that's a red flag. Like that's they're not thinking logically and critically about joining my organization. Furthermore, if there's things that like are potential challenges, then I want to share those things because I want people on my team that are excited about solving for those challenges. And what's funny is like by sharing things that are more vulnerable, you can actually make vulnerability your superpower because people are going to trust you more when you lower your guard. So just something to think about. The last topic I wanted to dis discuss today is going through high-level recruitment lifecycle. Uh, given the rapid changes we've seen to the economies over the last few years, I think that, that it's important to just do a, a high-level recap on what we typically see in terms of a, a recruitment lifecycle, and, and then we can discuss where we are today. So uh, high-level, in down markets, companies cut recruitment agencies and products. Two, then they cut next cycle, next part of the cycle, then they cut in-house recruiters. Three, market starts to rebound or there's just pent up demand that requires hiring. Four, companies try to hire recruiters when everybody else is. Five, recruiter pay jumps. Six, companies can't hire enough recruiters and sign up recruitment vendors. And seven, companies start to experiment with new hiring products. And this is basically the constant life cycle. 
Right now, what we're seeing is we're starting to see a bit of a market rebound. There's some really positive indicators that the economy is moving in the right direction. Um, so that's that's always good to see. Things are still tight, and we're not seeing a massive uptick. But I read a, a market report recently that um, you know, it was a, a pulled 170 executives, and about half of them were hiring. I also did a poll on LinkedIn asking if companies are seeing an increase in hiring in Q2 over Q1, and about 47% of respondents said that they're hiring more in Q2 than they were in Q1. At my company, Secure Vision, which provides embedded recruiting, we are seeing a pretty significant uptick in our qualified pipeline. So it does things, seem that things are getting a little bit better. So I would say that we're kind of in stage three of the cycle I just uh, shared with you. Market rebound and pent-up demand is starting to occur, not nearly at the levels that we saw a couple of years ago. But it is starting to happen. And so one thing that I like to stress here is that, um, you know, look, we are in a very cyclical, we're tied to the hip of the market, right? There's just constant whiplash in talent acquisition, right? It's like either <laughs> as leaders, like we have a, a like way too many wrecks, right? And it feels like we're just, we we are slammed because we are trying to keep up with demand or like we're whiplashing to the other direction where there's just not a whole lot going on and we're trying to to we we have a lack of job security right so it's it's really tough but one thing from a a strategic perspective that's very important is to understand that while hiring might be cyclical for your organization investing in process and technology is not it's not cyclical not if you want to have great results as the market starts to rebound right like you need to have a structured hiring process that's baked in place if there is a need, an unfortunate need to make layoffs within the talent department, if you do not have process and technology in place when the market rebounds, there is no way in hell you're going to be able to hit your hiring goals. So making sure that there's process documentation for everything, making sure that process is baked into your technology in a scalable ATS solution, my favorite is Greenhouse, is critical to ensure that when the market starts to rebound, you can quickly hire recruiters and fill open roles. If you don't, you're going to end up leveraging recruitment vendors too much, right? There's, there's of course, a need for hiring uh, or for working with vendors, but there should be some kind of balance there. And if you don't have any process or technology in place, you're going to end up leveraging recruiters, probably in some cases, even contingent recruiters, pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees. And without even the right process or technology, a lot of those hires aren't even going to work out. So not only are you going to have to pay a lot more, but your quality of hire is going to be a lot less. So you want to make sure you have that process and technology built out. Uh, and that's something that you should constantly be optimizing. I think there's a high level of sophistication that I see when it comes to revenue organizations. But then for many town uh, organizations, there's just a total lacking. And the reality is that a lot of town acquisition leaders out there probably aren't as analytical and as comfortable with spreadsheets and data and process as they should be. I've always said that I think the best town acquisition and people leaders um, run their organization like a revenue organization. You know, one of uh, uh, the companies that I'm, uh, or one of the communities that I'm part of is a group called Pavilion. And it's primarily catered toward revenue executives. They also have a CEO group that I'm part of. Uh, but one thing that I've, I've been saying lately is that I think talent acquisition and people leaders would actually benefit from taking their chief revenue officer course because it'll allow, it'll teach you how to become more analytical, 
how to do better reporting, and really how to map back hiring planning into how the company is going to achieve North Star metrics so that you can truly have that executive leadership conversation with the CEO and present things to the CEO and a board in such a way that's going to allow you to get the budget that you need to actually build out the tech stack and uh, the headcount required in order to hit uh, the hiring plans, which in turn is in order to hit North Star metrics. And that's just a different level of conversation uh, to, to ensure like by doing this, you're going to be even more likely to truly have a seat at the leadership table or to truly, uh, if you already do, have a greater impact within the organization. So again, these are just a few of the more recent conversations that I've been having, having with folks. Uh, thank you for tuning in today and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and gained a lot of valuable insights to help guide your talent strategy. I also want to say thank you to my team at Secure Vision for making the show possible. Secure Vision is the number one embedded recruitment provider, and we are a three-time category leader on G2. Secure Vision partners with over 150 companies to provide on-demand recruiters who specialize in either tech, revenue, or GNA. For more information, you can visit securevision.io. For more content, you can follow me on LinkedIn at James Mackey or on Twitter at James Mackey DMV. We've dropped links in the description. If you want to be on our show or have any topics you'd like for us to cover, reach out at breakthroughhiring.io. We really appreciate your support with reviews on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday for a new episode. See you next time.